If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. How many were here last night? How many of you, uh... Hey, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to talk, you fucking asshole. Okay, uh, so some of you were here last night, but how many people stayed up and saw the sunrise? That's what I want to know. I don't believe you. Anyways, that's why I'm so grumpy, so don't fuck with me, you little prick. But yeah, last night, you know, sometimes you live for the moment, and the interesting thing about living for the moment is there's a moment right after it, and a moment right after and then you keep living for the moment, and then before you know it, the sun's come up, and... So when they say live for the moment, live for the moment, but then go to sleep. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're right in the middle of this thing last week we put out the first night of mansfield experiment and this week is night two from july 3rd in 2003 and it's interesting because obviously we all kind of know what went down on night three and that'll be the big finale of this whole thing next week But night two is kind of, in a way, like the follow-up of night one. And you can kind of put these two shows together and almost get the same kind of set list that you do get on night three. It is a couple more songs, but there is a conversation to be had about that and some other things that will go into the show, too. Like, we'll talk in this episode about the songs that did not get brought back for this or the songs that were even in rotation and really didn't get any chance at these Mansfield shows, which is just puzzling by all ends. But it's a second rendition here, and I don't think the second show really gets talked about a whole lot because everybody sort of knows already what's happened. There's no like rumblings or rumors or anything going on. So it's just kind of like, okay, what are you continuing with? And then night three obviously has 
the big surprise and the acoustic set and all that. So this will be an interesting one to do. And of course, it's following up on a terrific show the night before and just a legendary series that we're excited to once again share with you. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hi, hi. Yeah, everyone's starting out on the same page on this one. The band, when they have something up their sleeve, they got a little bit of an edge to them, and then the crowd slowly comes to realize, and then Ed talks about it. But here you can tell, like, the crowd is up for it right from the beginning. This is a much better crowd show because everyone knows what's coming. And, like... I remember a little bit from the forums because you would go follow along the set list. I remember a lot of the talk about this was, can they do it? Like, you had some people, oh, they're they're going to have to do even flow again. They're 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 going to do even flow again. I don't know if they can do it, but like that was a lot of the talking point. Is like, are they really going to follow through with it? Yeah, and that that makes a whole lot of sense. I guess that you know, there's an anticipation of what to follow up. And when you think of how that show kind of ended, as we talked about last week, there was a lot of room to add more. And I think that this is like you put these two shows together. And that's kind of what I was saying in the intro. If you kind of merge them, then they're like almost weirdly one complete show, even though it would be about 60 songs long almost. But I feel like they definitely set the bar very high on night one. And this show was going to be just as highly anticipated. And I think when they come out of it, I think a lot of people have to be saying there feels like a lot of songs that were already played, but there's still room for a lot more. I guess with this one, we heard some rare ones in the first night, but now we're kind of delving into a little bit more of the rare territory here with a couple of these songs. Now they're finally getting into a song that they have never done and you know, one time, but they had never done. And you're kind of going off the book here a little bit. And it's just kind of adding in a little bit more and building the hype and anticipation a little bit more as they go. And then night three is obviously going to just blow everything out of the water. Yes. And judging from some of the hints that we get during the show, it's surprising that this show even happened, judging from the night that at least Ed and some of the band had. I guess there was some shenanigans going on with the Buzzcocks and everything. They had an interesting time between night one and night two. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Ed, when saying that, when we'll talk about it, it seemed like he was getting a little testy when he was saying that. He told somebody in the crowd to shut the fuck up. And yeah, like the end of this tour, although it was really something sort of special and kind of like fairy tale Pearl Jam. There are a couple shows in this run. Hershey is probably the one where everybody's just kind of in this get me the hell off tour kind of mood and, and just move mode, on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I can see a little bit from this show here, but I mean, it doesn't affect performance. It doesn't yeah. affect anything in that nature. So John, why don't we get to talking, because we're going to tell more stories here. Why don't we get to talking a little bit about the songs that did get played, the songs that didn't get played, because we made up a whole list here of all the albums and all the songs that were available at the time. And yeah, while 97 songs were played, there were a couple that weren't played that were in rotation that seemed a little odd to not be on the table here. And I think it's maybe due to just the lack of time that they had for everything, which is kind of crazy. But the ones that are the most perplexing in here, Glorified G, 
Last Exit, which I think takes the cake. Last Exit is that that's the biggest surprise. That should have been played. They, they just had to have forgotten. I wonder if they had it somewhere and they ran out of time and they like maybe it was in this show because there is a moment in this show where it could go. And maybe they're just like, nope, the guys in the trailer parks are going to bed and we can't we can't play that one. We'll add it to night three. And then when it when they got around to night three, they were like, shit, we have too much to do. I think you just forgot. I don't know. That's a hard song to forget. You know, they've been playing it a lot that tour. Yeah, but I think it just got lost in the shuffle. I hope not. I hope it wasn't an accident. I hope it was just like we really, really tried to get this in. Not a, oh, fuck, we we missed one. I, I, this, yeah. I know getting in over 100 songs is a Herculean task. And by no means am I saying that they needed to do everything to perfection. But Last Exit should have been in there. We got Red Mosquito as well that they had played a little bit in 2003. Not terrible amount. But then there's also Last Kiss that didn't get played in this at all, which Last Kiss is Last Kiss. So any other oddities that sort of stick out to you? Like those are the four to me that were just the most perplexing in this. Yeah, the only other one would have been Satan's Bed, which they had tried at State College, and we know kind of what a disaster that was infamously, but it would have been interesting to have that thrown in somewhere and give it another shot. It would have been a cool full circle moment that ending the last show of the first leg was a disaster, and then... And then near the end of the second leg, they do it again and it sounds better. But I'm sure, look, I'm sure a lot of these songs they got to look at and they got to be like, you know, they're playing low light for the first time in front of a Pearl Jam crowd. They're playing Rival, which they barely have ever touched at this point. And they got to be thinking, all right, well, if these songs are on the table, then, you know, maybe we just can't work Satan's bed out to the point where we're comfortable throwing it in this one. And I'm, and I'm sure State College spooked them, too. They, they didn't want I, that to happen yes. again. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I think they brought it back in 2006, and I think yeah. that they yeah. figured it out enough. So what about, look, there were a couple songs that were left off of 2003 entirely. The one that shocked me the most that I didn't realize wasn't the 2003 song at all was Garden. Yeah, because it had appeared in 2000. It's not like it is one of those that was gone from 95. Right. You know, it, it had made a couple of appearances in 98 and 2000. So yeah, that, that is a little strange. Yeah, you, you'd think that they'd want to get all of the tracks off of the first record in, obviously with it being the most popular yeah. record. But actually what we do have here which is important to kind of bring up. I brought it up on social media not long ago, but I, we might have brought it up last week. I can't remember. The only two albums that are fully intact within these three shows are by Gnarl and Riot Act, which I guess yeah. makes sense. Because it's, it's surprising, though. It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, you got to do the brand new album in full. Obviously, they held stuff like Ark for it. But by Gnarl... Is only surprising because a lot of these songs really haven't been played much since then. But also, I guess you can consider them the most familiar to the band, like rare enough, but it's still kind of in the back of their mind. Yeah, and the, the acoustic set helps too. I don't without that acoustic set, I don't think it happens. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because you you lose of the girl, you lose sleight of hand, you lose parting ways. Yeah, and you I, I don't remember th- thin air is probably in that, but I, th- I think you probably lose thin air too. Yeah, and it's interesting too. You know, a lot of the ten stuff was early on night one, night two. A lot of the versus stuff night one, night two. Then you get into night three, you're going to get more no code. You're going to get more yield, more binaural. So. Yeah, it's interesting how they push those albums, like the more familiar ones early, to get those out of the way. It's interesting to see what they say for Night 3. That's going to be interesting for next week, too, because that's going to be a talking point, too, because we talked about it last week. They held a lot of stuff back. That's one reason I didn't feel like that show was a 10 out of 10 show. We're going to talk about it. They brought some stuff back for this, but I think they really wanted to hold stuff back for Night 3 to make sure that was a special one. How about this for Riot Act? on the show we're about to talk about only two ride act songs at this show. Yeah. And there would be seven on night three. That would mean that in night one, it was, it was there, there were six songs, right? Yeah. So it is kind of crazy that there is that much of a disparity between it, but binaural had six on night three yield has seven on night three. We'll talk about stats next week for the third night. We got some great stuff shared with us from Dave Jantosh, who runs livefootsteps.org. who has been very helpful in all of this in finding all the stats, of course. If you're not using livefootsteps.org, then I don't know what to tell you because I think you do. It's just a rabbit hole worth of shit to go through in the Pearl Jam catalog, but... Yeah, I mean, everything else just, you know, there are some cover songs that I guess you can say are a little not sure why they didn't do it. Like, Give Me Some Truth was being played at the time. Sonic Reducer they would play at Madison Square Garden, so at least it's on their mind. They could have brought back Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. That would have been a great night three thing. Imagine they close Mm. the acoustic set with that or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, that would have been really something. I guess when you're talking about Lost Dogs 2, there weren't any brand new Lost Dogs debuted yet. They could have brought out like a Fatal. They could have brought back Alone if they wanted to. They could have brought out Sad. Yeah, well, Wash got played at Homdol the couple shows after the third night. But yeah, I mean, there's so much that they could have done that they left off the table, but we're not going to complain about that. It's 97 songs. We got more than enough on this. Which means I think it's time to go through some more stories here. We kind of divided them up. We did a couple on the night one episode. Now we're going to do a chunk for this episode. And we'll have some ones for next week, too. So why don't we get into this? And I'm going to start off with my good buddy, Jason Corbin here, because he's the only one who wrote to us that only went to night two. So here we go. 25 years old, and I'm seeing Pearl Jam for the first time on the night before the 4th of July. What could be any better than this? It's hard to believe it's been 20 years already since this show. I took a day off from work and went with a good buddy of mine who liked Pearl Jam, but wasn't a fanatic. We did the whole tailgating scene prior to the show, and I was such a Pearl Jam novice at the time that I had no clue about the posters, so I never got one. I did, however, get it back in 2019. My biggest memories from the show was the opener of Release and River Mirror. Hearing Release for the first time let me know that I was finally at a Pearl Jam show, and I knew I was going to be in for a good night. Also, I was obsessed with River Mirror at the time, and was hoping that they were going to play it that night. Luckily, they did, 
And if I remember correctly, it's about an eight minute version. Mm, eight is cheap in it. I think it's, it's closer to nine. It might oh, yeah, be nine it's, and a half. It's over nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I was aware of the experiment when I was at the show. I haven't listened to the boot in a while, so I'm not sure if it was discussed or not during that show, which I've talked to him since, and he had definitely listened to the bootleg, so he went back on it, I think. I also think the third show was announced rather late, as it was originally a two-night stand, as tickets were still available for the third show, and I really wanted to go, but being in Mansfield, Massachusetts... It's quite the pain to get out there on a weeknight, and I didn't want to have to take another day off work to see the show. I regret that decision to this day. The July 3rd show created the obsession that I now have for this band. I really regret not seeing them prior to 2003, but I've done my best to make up for it. I'm now up to 15 shows, with two more coming this year, going to both St. Paul shows. I'm really looking forward to listening to all three shows again, and the podcast forum. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Jason. You're a good guy. I just want to put that out there. I know anytime that I ask you for something, you get a little like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if I can do it, but I just want to remind you that you can, and you're very good at it. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, that was great. We've got one from Sean Porter here who went to nights two and three. He says, the rumors about an all acoustic set to start night three started to fly and were all but confirmed in the days leading up to the show. I was 24 years old and living hand-to-mouth, so to speak. My brother took me to night two on July 3rd, and I was desperate to somehow make it in for night three. I lived on the message board for days, hunting for a face-value ticket, as it's all I could afford. The morning of the show, my miracle happened, and a fellow fan had one extra ticket that was inside the pavilion stage left about 40 rows back. I got into my car and drove for three hours with the hope that I wasn't being scammed. This is pre-iPhone, and texting wasn't what it is now, so accessibility was vastly different in terms of communication. I was in the parking lot where I was supposed to be at 4 p.m., and the kind fan was there with my ticket in hand. I cannot remember his name, but I remember the day exactly. Overcast skies, but the rain had stopped. The sun still was up, and the crowd was half full at most, and a stage filled with acoustic instruments and stools, and out comes Pearl Jam. I could not believe I was there. Ed encouraged everyone to pace themselves and even got us all to sit down. The acoustic set was so special and something I still listen to often. Ed had a piece of mirror or something reflective and was beaming the stage lights out to the crowd during half full and that beam hit me and I felt like this was meant to be. I slept in my car that night and made my way back to New York the next day. Time marched on and I grew older and made enough money in my adult life to be able to afford to go to shows out of my area or even my country for pretty much every tour. Even though things are more comfortable for me now, I miss days like that and feel so lucky to have been there. Yeah, I I like that story a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of just tells you that even when you felt like you had nothing, you still had something. You know what I mean? Being young. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Thanks so much, Sean. Yeah. All right, we got a short one from Jim Cuz here from Worcester, Massachusetts. He was at all three of these. Went to all three shows, front row on Mike's side for night two, and has some photos to share. Would love to see them. Went to night three with my parents and waited all day in line for the drop at the box office. Three of us got in, and my dad convinced them to sell his last obstructive view ticket because they weren't going to sell. When we got in, people we waited in line with all day asked where my dad was and gave him their unused Section 2 Row U ticket so he can get a much better show. Just an amazing set of shows that highlighted the band and the community around it. Hey, short but sweet. Good story. 
Hope your dad enjoyed the show from a non-obstructed view. Yeah, yeah. Good job, Dad. I've got one from Brett Vallego here, who went to all three as well. He says, I had 10 club tickets for the show. The day before, I think, I heard Ticketmaster release some tickets. For the hell of it, I went on Ticketmaster and scored fifth row center. I couldn't believe it. Quickly gave my tickets away to, I forget who, my brother and or some friends. That day, the old Pearl Jam 10 Club Synergy Forum was abuzz with Get There Early, Pearl Jam are playing an acoustic preset. We're talking about night three here, obviously. I live about 90 minutes away, so making sure I got there on time wasn't an issue. Walking to my seat in the afternoon with hardly anyone in the venue, I kept saying, holy shit, as I walked down the aisle, getting closer and closer to the stage. I'd been on the rail for my first show on the Versus Tour and had sat relatively close before, but this was more or less the first full Pearl Jam acoustic set since MTV Unplugged, not counting Bridge School at the time. Unplugged is and was iconic for me for many reasons, personal and musical, so this was going to be great. It lived up to the hype in my mind. Sun was still out, venue half full, everyone sitting down. I mean, it wasn't like they were going to play an acoustic version of Blood or anything. Ha ha. <laughs> I specifically remember being psyched on Footsteps, probably because that was the one 10-era song they played in the set, and it's classic to me and could have easily been on Unplugged in 1992. I went to 9 or 10 shows on this tour. Tickets were only 45 or 50 bucks, and this is easily one of the top moments for me. P.S. The poster for the 7-Eleven show currently hangs in my kitchen. Well, you are welcome to invite us over for dinner, and we will gawk at it jealously. As long as he has Luke in his fridge, I'm in. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Brett. All right, I'm going to read one from Greg out of Portland, Maine, who went to all three of these shows. said, I went to seven shows on this tour. July 2nd was the original show on sale. It sold out pretty quickly, and then July 3rd immediately popped up. That may have taken a bit longer to sell out, but it eventually did. I want to say it was at least a week or two before they announced that they would do a third show, but not on July 4th. Instead, it would be a week later after the Camden and Madison Square Garden runs. I wish I could remember when that went on sale. I had 10 club tickets for night one, lawn seats with friends for night two, and then scored fifth row for night three. Pretty sweet. Rumors of them trying to play all of their songs on this run had hit a few days before. I think Ed had told some fans at a show prior, maybe Toronto. Like I confirmed last week that it might have been Toronto. So, hey, put that together and yeah, I guess we figured out where the rumor came from. That they were going to attempt this. So when he went into the, I want to tell you what we're going to try and do here, I knew exactly what he was talking about. I can't remember when the announcement of the acoustic part happened just a few days before but I remember scrambling to call friends and make sure that they were ready to go extra early. I remember the weather for show one and two was glorious. Just perfect summer evenings. Ocean's opening night one was unbelievable. Present tense is still a version I listen to quite a bit. Just great. I remember low light from night two being pretty special. Still a song that wasn't in regular rotation. We'll get into that. I think both Night 1 and Night 2 were probably better than Night 3 if you take out the acoustic set, but I could go back and forth. I like to look at 3 as one big thing. Weather for Day 3 was not as great if I recall, a little overcast, slight drizzle, but the place was pretty full for the acoustic set. Just a perfect selection of songs. All those yesterdays got a nice pop, sleight of hand was beautiful, and footsteps probably got the biggest reaction of all. To this day, I don't think I've seen a picture or video from that show. Crazy. 
After the acoustic set, we went back up on the lawn and met with some friends during Slater Kinney's set. Kind of in awe of what we saw. The main set was very solid. Given a Fly was a standout and great sing-along during Nothing Man, part of the Man trilogy. I know people have complained about the second encore being mostly covers, other than Ark, which was beautiful, and Slater Kenny being on stage for most of it, but it was like a celebration of sorts. Very appreciative of what they attempted and pulled off. Will forever be a great memory. That's what it is. And kind of, well, thank you so much, Greg, but all that our job is, is to retell some memories. So I hope that everybody is keeping their memories warm and safe. And that's why we asked you guys what your favorite moments were from this, because now that we set them and now it's archived on all your favorite podcast platforms, they're there. You can always go back to this. If you forget anything, if you get old, if you kind of lose a little bit of your memory later in years, this will always be here for you. So I just want to throw that out there. Thank you so much, Greg. Yeah, I think it's great too. We've heard from so many people who went to all three. Like I can't even imagine what it would have been like to see three shows like this in 10 days or whatever it worked out to be and having to go through all the trouble to have tickets for night one and tickets for night two. And then we heard from so many people who like waited at the box office for tickets to drop and almost nobody comfortably got all three shows. Right. Yeah. So yeah, kudos to all you guys who made it to all three. That's quite an accomplishment even here 20 years later. Got one more from Josh Lipschitz who only went to night three. But he says, I had just moved to Boston the month before, so I didn't have tickets to the shows. I had been to the Nassau Coliseum show in April, which had reignited my enthusiasm for the band and started my years of seeing as many shows as I could. That's an interesting one to have reignited your enthusiasm, just going to say. Living in New York and Boston meant a lot of shows. I managed to get tickets to the July 11th show, was in a computer lab at my grad school, and I won the eBay auction Section J. Then they announced the pre-show set, which to this day may be my favorite hour of live music I've ever seen. I'll never forget them coming out with it still being light out, sitting down, and everyone running for their seats. We all know the set, the rarities, the jokes about no acoustic versions of blood, the teases at the end. It was so good live, and it's one of my favorite bootlegs. And for some reason, there is no video of this pre-show set that I can find. There's We're no video there of anything. There's no, there, yeah, there's no video of any of it. So if someone's hoarding it out there, please share. Oh, my God. Thank you, Josh. Somebody last week said it would be the Holy Grail, and I fully agree. Yeah, that would be it would be up there. Mm-hmm. 20 there, years. I always think about they dropped that Sonic Atlanta. from Atlanta, mm-hmm. and it's like with just no warning and no fanfare, just like, oh, here's this. Like, what? What are they holding on to? But... Yeah, maybe, you know, in the Riot Act box set, we'll get the DVD of it. Well, who knows? Because this is coming out on the 5th of July. And who knows if the band decides to do anything special for the 20th anniversary on the 2nd and 3rd of July. So by this point, and obviously we're recording this, it's not even July yet. We're definitely doing some early recording to get this out of the way. But they could have put something out. Who knows? Don't so hold your breath. But we'll I'm see. not. But I would be very excited to talk about it next week if that was the case. All right. We have a preset song before we get into the regular set. But again, this week, we do not have a version of it. It's You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, which 
we've heard the song before. We know how it goes. It usually doesn't really change pace much as the years go by and they play this song and really it's just Ed. So we get the gist of it. But yeah, it's it's a it's a good one to start you out. And they did Dead Man the night before. And obviously the preset at the next show would be very well documented and be even better than that. So that's all we have on that. So that means we can get into the regular set. Look, if you're going to open these three shows, I think Oceans was a very good opener for night one, but I think there are two other songs that you need to start your night for the next two. One of them is Release. feels like there's a hum hovering over the song to give it almost like a angelic sort of feel to it. And I don't know, because I haven't like listened for it in versions from 98 and 2000. I don't know if that really comes in before Boom or if that's like a Boom thing that he's doing back there. But it like gives you the sense that the song is bigger than it's presented. And as it's presented, it's pretty freaking huge. But I think that's the thing from my first show when I saw release for the first time that I remember is hearing that hum and hearing everybody kind of come in and, and kind of working off that almost like stone plucking away and doing his scale run and, and everybody kind of coming in and it's all working, circulating around that. Like that's like the sun or something like that. And everybody's just sort of revolving around it. It's very interesting. And I don't know how raw that the versions prior to 2003 feel without Boom, but it's definitely interesting to think about. Yeah, Release is one that in the early days, it was a lot more introverted. And you would see Ed, you know, being very tensed up and very hunched over and very into himself and not being emotive. And that changed over the years and it became more open. And like the crowd was a big part of that. We've talked about that so many times on these songs, but yeah, over the years, release became more of an, an open song, an open air song that soars and has that catharsis to it. And 
Yeah, by 2003, it definitely did. It sounds incredible on this, and it really has a nice build. Like, you talk about boom, adding some textures and things like that. The way they build from the very beginning all the way until it lets go at the end is just perfect. Also, like little things in this, we've talked a lot about Mike sort of utilizing that spacey effect pedal that was popularized on the binaural tour. There's a little bit of that within the verses here that I thought was very, very cool. And yeah, release is gonna be the one that gets you going. It's gonna be the one everybody's gonna be singing at the top of their lungs. People that have gone to multiple shows know what this is about. People that are going to their first show are figuring out as this is developing. It's a great moment, excellent way to start you off. I don't think these shows would have been fair if they didn't have release as an opener in any of these three. And the crowd from the very beginning, you know, we talked about it last week, once they figured out what was going on, like if they picked up on it and the crowd started getting to it. But here, you've got that buzz from the crowd right away. They're like, they're in on it now. They know what's happening. So they're in it from the very beginning. They're gonna be jumping on everything. And this is a much better crowd show than night one, I thought. And that's reflected in the band too. You can tell they just lift up the ending of the song. It's really special. Well, release is going to go into what's a pretty common-ish start to a show. I think you put one or two songs here and there that might feel a little bit more uncommon, which I'm about to say, but you got Animal, and then God's Dice, which would be utilized in this role, but almost never is. That's going to be the rare one of the bunch. Do the Evolution and Insignificance. What do you think is the highlight from all this and why? It's Animal. When Ed gives it to the crowd, when he's, you guys take it and sing, and you hear this massive push from the crowd. It kind of made my hair stand up on my arm. I was like, wow, all right, from the second song, we're already doing this. And usually that's an evolution thing, but for this, I thought Animal was the standout early on. I think there's a lot of discussion to be had about Mike and how good Mike is in the first half of this show. And it feels like right before, and it's kind of around the time that the crowd is singing back, like it feels like he's really kind of hitting some of those licks and and like heating up to the moment where he's about to just rip it to shreds. And then he does. And that's the exciting thing that kind of follows up and that gets it to a place of pandemonium almost. Yeah, this was a very scorching version of Animal. Really, really good. God's Dice being played, the third song, like, yeah, you got to throw some rare ones in there, right? This was only the fourth and final time that they had played it this year. So we had talked about Evacuation and Light Years last week. They had only been played three or four times to that date too. So it's just another one from Binaural that they hadn't given a lot of until bringing it to the table on this night. 
yeah, and I'm sure that's a function of like, hey, we're going to try to do this. What do we have in our back pocket that we still know that we can still get through? And a lot of the older stuff, you know, you mentioned some of the ones they didn't do, Gardens and Glorified G and things like that. That stuff is going to be harder for them to pull off on short notice than something like God's Dice, which they have familiarity with and they can go back to very easily because it wasn't written that long ago. But, and yeah, fits fits right in this part of the set. I thought it was a, a pretty good, fast version. Again, like Mike's shot out of cannon on this too. Yeah, yeah. His tone on this sounded really, really good, and he even keeps up like the little lick that happens, like after the song ends. He's still going, like, okay, well, I can't stop yet. You guys stop the song, but I had too much left in me, so he's kind of like getting. It's it's like when you pour the glass of of juice, and like there's a little bit at the bottom of the bottle, and you're like, oh, come on, give me that. Want to finish the bottle? Give me that little, little, little droplet of juice at the bottom. That—that's what Mike is doing here. He's giving you the little droplet left over of that solo. He was squeezing God's balls for all they're worth. <laughs> and that right there is the punchline. How about do the evolution? Ed sounds terrific on do the evolution. Stone sounds terrific on do the evolution. Cameron sounds, guess what? Terrific on do the evolution crowd absolutely erupts for it too it's a very inspired version and i think that stone is probably at his best at this because also like we just talked about mike is kind of holding on to that solo a little bit but when stone has that that big solo and when it goes into kind of like the final verse and all that like stone continues to roll with that solo afterwards and really it's great to hear both Mike and Stone go back to back on this because while Mike seems to be like the first half MVP, Stone gets to be sort of the mid-set MVP in there and he's doing a lot of really cool stuff at this that we'll be able to talk about. But this was a highlight for Stone. Highlight for Ed too because big screams on this really felt like he was inspired on this version. Yeah, and the first Yield song of the experiment. So Yield is on the board and off and running. We're going to talk about Yield a lot more next week, too. It didn't have the big crowd moment. Like, this is still pre-South America do the evolution. So it's not that big, big moment that it becomes. But this is the nice early set fitting in version of do the evolution, too. I thought I'd transition to the next part of the set. But still not that big crowd moment that it would become. I think one of the best performances of the night finishes off this section, and that's Insignificance. Ooh, this was red hot. And the entire band, like, getting into the groove and finding a good rhythm to this and getting in the perfect drive to feel like at the end, when you get into the end, like, everything just felt loud. It felt explosive. And, like, that last part when you're just about to drive into the last course, it's kind of like all that little bottled-up, energy that they're kind of saving for that and they're kind of anticipating for that and it just feels like when matt comes in with that role you're like yep they they can't contain it it can't be contained and it's shoved right down your throat the transition from the bridge to the end was just absolutely flawless matt was perfect stone sounds really good kind of holding out and bending some of those notes in this version it does a little please forgive boston and i love this version so much maybe one of my favorite and insignificance versions i've ever heard
forgive Boston line is very quick. You blink and you might miss it, but it's the first of many. This is a very local heavy kind of night kind of show. He's going to mention it a bunch of times, but yeah, they're lightning hot on this after, after this run of songs. Ed's going to talk to the crowd for the first time, says, thank you, hello. Apparently he's getting flowers during this, which seems customary for Boston that you would give a performer flowers in the middle of a set, right? Yeah. I guess. Depending on the artists. Some some artists might get, you know, a baseball thrown at their head. Who the hell knows? It's Boston. Anything can happen, but it's very quick. He says, we got our work cut out for us tonight, so we're just going to keep going. This song goes with flowers. So the section right here, two-song combo, Love Boat Captain, and I got shit. Love Boat Captain, we kind of talked about this a lot when we did the evolution for this. It was the most recent evolution episode that we did a couple months ago. And we just talked about how in July and June of 2003, Mike starts to do some really insane batshit solos in this. He starts to tear this apart, while in versions before that, he sounded terrific and sounded great. But he was looking for ways to really put this song on a very high pedestal in a version like this. And I I can't get over how good the Little Rock version is, too. That one's terrific, too. But it's one of the most ear-piercing solos that the song has ever heard. Momentum is really, really high to this point, and it feels like Love Boat Captain is really thriving off that. Mike is possessed. And although it's like a 30-second solo, it feels like he devoured the entire song and spit it out into the crowd so they could sing the lyrics at the back end. Captain is one when it follows up that early run of fast songs like it's not something like a distant or a wish list which will kind of take that momentum and squander it a little bit sometimes love boat captain is going to take that and like give it a chance to kind of seethe and simmer and then build back up and and yeah just release it all at the end yeah i'm with you this is a really good version i've said it before i don't say it very often but it's a version where you need a cigarette after that's how good that this one was loved it Ed acknowledges I Got Shit being one that he played with Neil, who played there, actually. He mentions, oh, I played there a couple days ago. He played there on the first. So they literally missed each other by a few hours. Wow. Which I wonder if they, like, got in touch with each other and, like, had breakfast or something or lunch or something like that. Who knows? Young Neil, as he says, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So they might have just missed one another. But interesting little tidbit is that... My parents went to this tour at Jones Beach, I think a few days before the first. I think it was like the 28th is what I looked up. And I believe that this was the first tour in like 10, 15 years that they toured with Crazy Horse, that he did with Crazy Horse, Hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So just, yeah, just throwing that in there. Very heavy version of I Got Shit. Mike was playing around with a lot of effects and had a really massive, heavy ending to it. 
And I guess it's just chalk it up to another big performance and an excellent run through the first seven songs. Yeah, I mean, I got shit totally just rips. It's a blistering version as much as that song can be. Yeah, it's another one that, like Love Boat Captain, just hits a point where it just starts to soar. And like you can tell that the band on stage is just flying. They're in a really good place. All right, here. The next two are going to be very interesting. Get ready for some discussion. Ed says this is one that we haven't done in a while. They did it last and first, 2001 Bridge School. It's one that Jeff wrote, and it's called Low Light. And the crowd, when he says that, actually has a pretty good reaction to it. You kind of think that a deep cut off of a record that came out five years ago, maybe a couple people would kind of have it off their mind, but it felt like a good reaction that people were excited about it, but also like, oh, okay, I haven't heard the name of that song for a long time. So here it is in all of its glory, basically debuting for the first time in front of an actual Pearl Jam headlining crowd. And obviously this song is not what we know of it now. And it's such a weird story because they never got to it in 1998. It took them three years to actually perform it. They didn't do it in 2000. It took them until the end of the tour to perform it here. So they weren't really high on it at all, which I guess knowing where the song went now, it doesn't make any sense. But it would find itself more consistently coming into the sets around maybe like the backspacer era, maybe a little bit in avocado. And now we can pretty comfortably say that it's a common live track. So it's a really cool evolution for this. And, and also they're playing a song here that is probably one of the most, I guess, unfamiliar to them of these three shows. And if you kind of remember those of you that were there, Ed was apparently looking at the Yield booklet to sing the lyrics to this. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Low Light is when you mentioned it, it, it had a slow burn, 2003. Like, only this one, then they played it at MSG, and then Benaroya, and then only once in 2004, just a handful of times in 2005, a little bit more in 2006, but still only 10% of the shows. Again, I'm looking at live footsteps here. And, 2008 a little bit more started to come in like I said the backspacer era but it wasn't really until 2013 that it really took off after Wrigley and really started getting to be the like every third fourth night song that it would become you know 25% 28% actually the year that the song has been played the most is actually 2018 Interesting. which is something that I would not have guessed but Again, played a bunch last year, so yeah, I mean, that's one that took a while, but it ended up hitting its stride. And this is a very kind of tentative, slower version. Don't expect the big moment that it would become, but yeah, it's nice and slow, just taking it easy. And then the ending is funny, I think, because there's a moment where I don't think they're sure how to end it. So yeah. everyone just kind of goes and stop. Yeah, it kind of has one of those. And it is funny because you're so used to specific things happening in low light nowadays especially just how loose ed is on it and how comfortable ed is on it you know the line all i feel is gone and he kind of like enunciates that and then he holds out the your dream i see and he holds that out forever and those things you don't get here there's no kind of high or low to it like ed kind of sings this pretty straight so he doesn't really accelerate his voice too much it's pretty close to what you hear on the album version 
And the one thing I thought was really interesting from this is how heavy the delay effect is in Mike's guitar during that little solo part. It almost felt like an 80s monster ballad anthem. Hmm. You know, it can do that when the pace is slowed down. You know, I don't think he could get away with doing that now, but the pace is so slow, the guy maybe felt like he needed a little bit of that to give it a little more power and a little more resonance. Well, I'm not sure of it. You're not sure of it, but we're going to ask our friend, the gear guru, right here to see what he thinks about one of the earliest versions of Low Light and kind of a little bit of the evolution of what it would become. So take it away, Javier. John. Hey guys, so night two of the Mansfield experiment. In the first one that we need to talk to is Low Light. Low Light is a weird song. A lot of people think that it's fairly easy to play if you play any instruments because it's just G, D, G, C, D specifically. That is the key that they use in the song. But the trick comes about the fact that is, as we said before, the majority of the rock songs that we like are recorded or are played in a 4-4 tempo. But again, this one has a very odd time signature, which is going to be 3 fours in this case. The solo, for some reason, never gets done right, but I think that kind of adds kind of like the magic to the mystery behind the song. It's hard to describe. It's a song that, again, it seems so simple to play, but for some reason, one of the players always has this little issue with it like the break or just like the solo itself or sometimes you will hear stone kind of like screwing up that change between g and c what you can hear in the solo it's kind of a weird mix because i honestly thought that it was just a uni vibe in a very low setting then randy thought that it was a rotosphere which is something that we have discussed in the past but it is a chorus pedal or sound in this case this is going to be the one that is on a blue pedal mm4 by line six that is on the upper left corner and that's going to give you a lot of mod effects that you can use too when you set this effect with the modulation and very low in the tweak of this pedal in a very low setting close to zero it's going to give you that super spacey wavy kind of chorus sound it's a very classic setting and that's the intention behind the sound that it was set on this pedal to recreate that chorus sound that everybody recognizes from a lot of 80s bands. All right. Thanks so much. It's a great song. As always. Yeah. As always two more times, two more times in this episode. So we'll be excited to give it to you guys. Now we go from a rare song that became common to a rare song that became more rare, believe it or not. Rival was only played twice on this tour and would only be played four more times after this version. I got and some of them. That's insane. That's yeah. absolutely insane. Yeah. And it is so random that it happened at the show that you went to because it was Jacksonville, right? That's right. Like, it's not a big arena. It's not a, like a big ballpark. It's just another show on the tour. A good show, but n- another show on the tour. Obviously, it being played in Toronto would be the huge deal, of course. But 
This is such an underrated song, man. Like, I love how the guitars work and balance with each other. It's just got a very, almost like Wash in a way, how Wash's tone just sort of feels like it sort of has like a movement to it where I've always kind of said Wash is sort of a song that feels like you're rocking on a boat that kind of makes you a little seasick. I think Rival has a lot of that as well. And it's got that right, the little scale run part. It, that actually like Stone's little scale run, and then you gotta love because this is one of the earliest moments where they have boom for it. So you get that little like key tap on this version too. I don't know. You got to go back to 2000 version. I don't know if you have that little ding 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 ding. To me, that felt like you're in like a creepy and twisted funhouse almost. Like it's just. It's just such a cool thing, and they don't really ever come close to replicating something like this. I would love to hear it live, just to get the experience of it, and I do think it's criminally underrated. I get why they kind of dropped it and don't play it because the, the, the confidence in it isn't there. But I think if they really worked it up, I think, like I said, I think it could be really cool with the way they do it. Now, even with Josh, I think it would be really cool to kind of see what he would add to this. Because, yeah, it can be one of those kind of moodier songs like A Wash or something like A Strangest Tribe or even, you know, some of the stuff off a of ride act, you know, You Are and Can't Keep and Of The Girl and stuff like that from Binaural as well. But... This version, I think, is pretty good. I like the stuff that Boom is doing, you mentioned. But I think this is just a function of, like, again, we committed to this thing. What can we pull out that's pretty recent that we still know? And, yeah, Rival falls under that category. Like I said, it almost completely disappeared after this. Well, what show was it played? Because it only got played one other time. What show was that that it was played? Clarkston. They played it in, in Clarkston. So I'm wondering during Clarkston, because that's all like on the 25th, like, I wonder if they're thinking at that point, like, hey, we do need to play every song if we're really going to do that. So let's bust out. And Clarkson would be a really good point to go back and look at because they play a lot of really rare stuff on those shows. I wonder if they thought that would kind of be a tune up for this, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it was played third in the set that night. Weird. Yeah. And I mean, there's a whole story to why those shows are how they are. And we've covered the second night, but yeah. Well, from that into something way more common is the Luke and not for you combination. 
I think we just kind of give the nod to how good this is. And I know anytime it does come up, we really do give it its due. But boy, is this one of the most, in terms of staple kind of things that Pearl Jam does, this is one of the coolest live things that they do and, and feels like you're generating a lot of energy and generating a lot of power within because you go Lucan, big fast song, it's going to get you right through it. And then when that finishes, you get that rolling drum beat that takes you right into Not For You. I feel like you get all different sorts of emotions ranging from like just sort of a, a headbanger into like now you're getting sort of the feast of what this section is while Lucan can be an appetizer in that way. Like it's really just such a cool thing that they developed on this. Yeah, I agree. And I think the beginning of Not For You, we don't talk about it enough. It's right up there, I think, with the beginning of Corduroy as far as building up tension and building up anticipation in a, in a crowd. The opening of Corduroy almost cannot be matched. And you can talk about Alive or Black or whatever, but that opening to Corduroy, there's almost nothing like it live. But Not For You is the same way when the drums start out and then that riff comes in. It's so simple but it's so recognizable and immediately everyone, oh shit, like it builds up the same way the core it does. And having Lucan in front of it where it's just this frenzy of energy and then that stops and then that drum beat comes in. Yeah, it's one of the coolest things. It's very well done to put those back to back because you're go, go, go. And then you're not stopping. You're not losing the momentum that Lucan has. You're just transferring it into something else that's going to build and keep going into something even better. So, yeah, it's very, very well done. Really tight version. Loved all the clapping and the buildup. Nothing great. Ed sounds incredible. Dynamite Stone solo follows up and ends out the great performance. Now we're going to go into, I'm going to package Daughter and You Are together crowd is singing really well with daughter and i thought that ed should have dropped out so the crowd could get more of the spotlight in there they were really just nailing it they were awesome in this it could have dropped out for every song yeah i mean yes very very good yes stone is also taking the lead on the tag what else is new and he's just setting that pace with that strumming it sounds so good And I think that kind of goes with the conversation of Mike had a bunch of songs and Stone has a bunch of songs and everybody's getting their moment. And Mike is going to come back and get some big moments, too. But I think the conversation here is interesting because obviously if you got daughter in this three night thing, which you obviously are going to have, you need to tag it with WMA because then you're technically adding in another Pearl Jam song into that. Should they? Could they have done the full version and made this the night where they brought it back no 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 i mean maybe not this the night but maybe night three would be the one where they brought it back yeah what it didn't come back until oh eight eight yeah no they weren't ready for that I mean, yeah, they changed it up a lot when they brought it back, but... Yeah, right? Yeah. Because I remember, too, I think you had a lot of people that were like, when they heard about this, it was like, oh, we're going to get Dirty Frank, we're going to get Leash, we're going to get yeah. Rats, you know, all this stuff. But, yeah, they weren't in that mode yet. It, it was coming, though. I love... Mike kind of goes back to that, like, funky riff that you usually don't get to hear in the tag. 
the one that actually happens in the studio recording. You usually don't get that because it feels a little bit more spacey and a little bit more downtrodden, but Mike brings that funky riff back in, and that's very, very mm-hmm. cool. But it's also not the only tag here because of the hometown Pixies. Right. We get a Pixie song, I've Been Tired. They had tagged it in two shows prior to this, back in 1998, when Frank Black was the opener on that tour. And this is one a typical kind of Pixie song, like lots of lyrics, very kind of a weird vibe to it. And Ed kind of does all the same enunciations that Black Francis does and everything like that. You know, I love the Pixies, and this is a cool one that Pearl Jam does, and this is the last time they would bring it out. But yeah, just another Boston reference. We're going to get another one in just a few songs. You Are will follow up after Daughter. Some really good backing vocals, very, very tight on this version. Great performance, and gets really amped up at the end a little bit. But afterwards, Ed is going to address the crowd. How's everybody doing? How many people were here last night? How many of you... Hey, shut the fuck up, I'm trying to talk, you fucking asshole. Some of you were here last night, but how many of you stayed up and saw the sunrise? A lot of people said, yeah, me. Well, Ed doesn't believe you. Anyway, that's why I'm so grumpy, so don't fuck with me, you little prick. This is a happy guy. Sometimes you live for the moment, and the interesting thing about living for the moment is there's a moment right after it, and after that, you keep living for it, and before you know it, the sun's come up, So when they say live for the moment, live for the moment, but then go to sleep because it's important. Okay there, Ed. And now we're going to get a song since he was up until sunrise. We're going to get a song that was originally titled Morning Song. I wonder if that's in his head. Probably Mm. not. Mm. Probably not at all. It's going to be in hiding. And we'll talk a little bit about I'm a Patriot and once as well. What do you think about in hiding? In hiding is great. It coming off the speech, I think, is very appropriate. I think there's a lyric change in this where he says, oh, it happened last night. So he's, yep. there's definitely, like I mentioned at the beginning, there's definitely some shenanigans that happened. I do believe that he did stay up until probably six or seven o'clock in the morning and then probably slept all day. So amazing that his voice sounds that good after probably many, many cigarettes and bottles of wine. Benefits of being younger, I guess. But again, we're finally getting into more Yield songs. So it gets a nice response from the crowd as well. But then... Patriot is the other kind of Boston thing, right? The New England Patriots, Boston, that's got to be a local reference too, right? Believe it or not, I think they only had one championship at that time. Yeah, this is the the beginning (laughs) of the Brady era, right? Yeah, so I guess it was the 2002 season, won it Mm -hmm. in the year 2003. Okay. And yeah, I think they beat the Panthers the following year. I don't know, somebody from Boston is going to call me up and they're going to be like, hey, it's the this Brady did this. How right. dare you sully their name? But I know that they only had one title by this point, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. still riding high. I guess kind of, yeah. you know, uh, humble about the whole thing. Well, that's but. interesting too, because like they talk about on Five Horizons, oh, there's Red Sox jerseys going around, and there's a Bruins jersey, but yeah. no Patriots jerseys. That is weird. Yeah. That yeah. was the first Boston title in a very, very long time. So yeah. Hmm. Well. Yeah, I'm a Patriot here, and I think it's interesting because we've talked about it a little bit on this 2003 run that we've been doing, but we haven't really gotten a full breakdown into this kind of version because it's it's obviously the alternate version where it's Matt and Ed, and it's kind of stark, and Ed is doing his thing and sort of building up when he's doing the Ain't No Socialist and all that. He's kind of building up this big moment where he's shouting the freedom, and he kind of goes through that. But we haven't asked Javier 
what his take about this kind of version of I Am A Patriot is. And I Am A Patriot weirdly has like three or four different kind of versions. So let's go back to him and see what he thinks about this. Patriot is very interesting to talk to as well because I think everybody's more used to the 2016's versions where you have this upbeat, very happy, very poppy, very jangly version of the song, which is the majority of the song is playing D and G, D and G, D and G, and then you go back to A, which is part of the triad that the scale is going to be composed to. But if we go back in time, in this version specifically, they're using B minor which B minor is kind of considered a sad note or something that is going to make the song a little bit more reflective if you will go from B to F minor or F sharp or F6 or F7, C sus 9, kind of like those pensative notes. I think it adds a different layer to it, specifically because in this kind of show they were trying to not repeat any songs, right? But how can you make the wave go up without crashing or to lift up the audience? I think there was a lot of decision making behind this just to kind of craft, okay, we're not going to repeat anything, but how we can make that wave get huge and then just to crash and start over again. Very interesting song selection, if you ask me. But I think what is even more interesting is that it's absolutely clean. You can barely hear some distortion or overdrive related or into the song. All the guitars are very clean. They're just like running behind whatever Ed is doing. But I thought that it was going to be an interesting thing to mention because it's funny how making the note progression change, it will make the song completely different. Even though that it's the same song that we know and we're familiar with, just changing B to F from D to G is going to make something absolutely, absolutely different. stuff thank you so much yeah i don't know the next time that we're going to cover this type of version from um patriot so i'm glad that we got this in the moment that we did awesome yeah javier i prefer the fast one but thank you javier we'll get right back to javier in like literally two minutes or so once strangely enough is being played for the first time on this leg last being played in albany that happened in april that's pretty rare for once. It usually gets played a fairly decent amount from tour to tour. Yeah, the 10 songs were kind of on the back burner instead. Yeah, seems a little weird. Because it's a good version. I thought that it had a lot of firepower to it. And I guess because 
sometimes when you don't play the song for a while, like you get that pent up, like, okay, I'm ready to play it again. I feel good with it. And then once you kind of get into the song, it's like, all right, now we're feeling a vibe with it. And I thought that Mike absolutely slaughtered another solo on this. It had been a few songs since we heard something really electric from him. This once was very good for him. Yeah, and it's kind of channeling that serial killer in 1992 aspect of it. He throws in that guilty after the me, it was you, all that whole thing. And they must have liked it because they went back to it three more times in Hershey, Palmdale, and Mexico City. So, yeah, they must have agreed. All right, well, now we're finally getting to the closer of this set, and it's going to be Rearview Mirror. And... You can kind of tell by the way that Matt is breaking into the bridge. And sometimes when they do that and they transition from the chorus bridge, they start off and it'll kind of blossom and develop into something. But when Matt takes off right away, that's going to tell you what type of version this is. And usually the ones that are very hard hitting don't last as long as the ones that are really jammy. The total runtime on this is 9.30. That should tell you something. But, oh man, this is terrific. Gotta love what's going on on both ends of the stage here. Stone is gathering tons of feedback and playing off of it. And at one point, he's kind of got like a delayed wah-wah sound while Mike is sort of filling in with a, a cleaner shortened solo there. I hope that's what Javier is going to bring up because he's going to talk about this in a second, but Matt's hammering away on the whole thing. Jeff's bass creates tons of tension, and there's one point he just keeps plucking the one note and kind of lets it hang there. Yeah, I always listen to what Jeff is doing on these little review mirror bridges, and yeah, he's just pulsating that note. just gives it so much momentum and, like you said, so much tension. Yeah, I love what Jeff is doing here. And then it gets way down and gets kind of sparkly and kind of twinkly a little bit, like they bring kind of down, and then it just ramps up. Yeah, this is, you know, you talked about insignificance maybe being the highlight, but this review mirror, there's nothing like it at this show. It's up there. It is definitely up there. Two songs that I might be talking about a little bit later. But before we do that, we're going to get to the Gear Guru. Finish it off here. about the use of delays or maybe when Jeff leads the song a little bit more with Matt or whatever Stone is going to be doing and that's going to kind of dictate whatever the other guitar player also known as Mike is going to be soloing upon but this version specifically doesn't have a lot of effects in the back I think it's very minimalistic compared to other versions that we have talked to something really cool is happening here though is they're making all the breaks and all the atmosphere for this with no pedals whatsoever it's just creating distance in between the guitar and the amp so when you have a high volume amp at a certain distance you're going to create that feedback 
you like it or not, you're gonna have that. You don't want to even know what's gonna happen if you have a semi-hollow guitar in front of a very loud amp. That's gonna make a lot of noise. Anyways, that's a different thing. But in this case, you are just creating that feedback with the distance that you have with the instrument and the amp. But when you have guitars like Gibson Les Pauls or anything that is going to have two volume knobs and two tone knobs, you can select and you can shut down or turn off or completely get your volume to zero. Pickups, you can do it in a very unique and a specific way. What I mean with that is if you roll down the first knob, it's going to only turn down the volume of the neck pickup. And if you do it in the one in the bottom, it's going to roll down the volume over the bridge pickup. When you do this and then you start to play with the pickup selector, you're going to create that feedback that is choppy. It's like a helicopter sounding like that. Some people refer it as Morse code because some artists, they have recorded like pretty cool tracks using that technique, making the simulation that is some sort of Morse code. But yeah, that's how you can create that effect. Something that it has been new to me because I haven't heard this version in a while, but I thought that it was worth mentioning for this week. All right, great performance, a great friend, and a great man. Thank you for all your segments. And as we mentioned last week, and I kept it in because I already finished the edit, but we had mentioned that there's going to be a new show or a new thing that Javier is doing on Patreon, which is going to happen, but we are going to hold off until all the Mansfield shows are done. And he's going to do one bigger thing featuring moments from all three shows. So look out for that. That should be out after the Mansfield stuff is all over with. So he'll keep the series alive, so to speak. And then we kind of talked about he, he wants to do it every other week or so. So that'll be other stuff, other content for Patreon, which we'll talk about in just a second because it's the encore. It's time to pause for station identification. The first thing that I want to mention here is that this is last call, officially last call to go out there and buy one of the tour shirts. Because on July 9th, once it hits midnight, it's closed. Shirts are no longer available, and we are going to be putting that to print. And as we mentioned in the last couple of weeks, all you got to do is just go to liveonfourlegs.com slash 2023 tour, order a shirt, and a percentage of the proceeds are going to be going to Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Now, this is being recorded well before this episode is out, so we might have a different outcome by then. But at this point, which is exactly a week before this episode comes out on the 28th that we're recording this, we have 77 shirts sold which is fantastic. We do have that goal setting for 100 though. So if you're thinking right here, you're listening, you're like, I don't have a shirt yet. I feel like I need to get a shirt. Then please jump in. We want to raise that money for cystic fibrosis. So jump in, buy a shirt, wear it around in Chicago and St. Paul and Dallas, Austin, Indy, wherever you're going and support the crew, support the pod. And hopefully we'll thinking about putting together some events we're talking about it there's nothing set in stone but hopefully there will be a time where we'll get a bunch of people together and maybe we'll all wear the shirt or something like that so that is that for the shirts remember it's live on four legs.com slash 2023 tour head there right now i'll even pause this is not the station identification pause it's just a regular pause i'll pause for you to go do it yeah we'll wait all right waiting have you done it yet
you know what this is going to be a two-hour episode anyway so yeah we can't wait so please feel free to buy a shirt and we'll be very very thankful for it and so will the people over at the cystic fibrosis foundation let's get into patreon guys i think the last couple weeks we failed to mention that because the shows are coming up that the big selling point of patreon and the thing that everybody seemed to enjoy the most over the last year was all of the tour reports and instant reaction and analysis episodes and they will be back this year they will be back and i think for all nine of these shows we will make sure that we are talking to people on the scene i'll be at four of the nine shows so i'll be doing it in chicago i'll be doing it over in in fort worth dallas but there will be people in St. Paul that'll meet up after the show and they'll all talk about it. Maybe even get to do a little man on the street thing. If we have time, they'll do it in Indy. We'll do it in Austin as well. So for every show, we'll get to hear from the horse's mouth, not just us who would be watching from whatever live stream that we're getting on the group feed or something like that. It might be good. It might not be good. We might not have the full interpretation of the show, but we will have people from site talking about it after every single show so that should be really exciting and that's coming in the month of september obviously we can't do it before or else we would love to do it before that means there's more shows but in september that is what you can be expecting but right now all the stuff over there it's in the archive all the evolution episodes all the late night series episodes All the episodes that we've done on 1991 and 1992 shows, they're all over there. They're all really good listens. I recommend you listen to everything because it's the hard work that we put together in it. We don't slouch for anything, that's for sure. And look, if you don't really know much about Patreon and just want to kind of see for yourself a little bit what it entails, then all you got to do is join the seven-day free trial and by doing that, you go to patreon.com slash live on four legs. And all you got to do is go on the bonus leg tier and click try the seven day free trial and you get it free for seven days. It will charge your card after the seven days are over. So just keep that in mind, but it will only charge you a dollar. And if you continue to stay on, it'll charge you a dollar a month. So that will give you an automatic way to the bonus leg tier. Three people have done it so far. Really happy that those three people have gone on to it. You've been great. And yeah, from here forward, it's still going to really help the podcast, especially in the coming months when we might be preparing for events where we'll need the funding for them. So to help us out, go to patreon.com slash live on four legs, as I mentioned previously, or download the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button. You can donate through the bonus leg tier, $1 a month. You can donate through the giggle leg tier, $5 a month. That'll get you an episode request, or you can donate through the horizon leg tier. That's $10 a month. It'll get you an episode request. It'll get you a fan profile on your fandom. And also we're going to work on some merch packages for the future that we'll have for exclusively horizon leg patrons. So all of that is available over on the website. You know, we've been doing this whole Mansfield thing, but Joey, good, sir, good friend, great contributor to the site. He came up with the idea to do Mansfield experiments for different eras. So out right now, 
1995, and 1998, where he'll do all set lists featuring all those songs that got played in those years. And I think the one coming up is going to be 2000 and 2006, and he'll finish off next week with 2013, 2009, and last year. So they'll be all Mansfield-type sets. He adds in the acoustic set list and everything like that. And he goes through, he did a really good job putting it all together and structuring it. So definitely check those out. They are on the website. If you go to the homepage, you will see them on the homepage slider. So check them out. They're terrific. And just want to give him a plug for that because he's a good dude. So, all right, everyone, back to the rock. We got more of it. Guess a little fashion show here. Ed's wearing a Ramon shirt and a Red Sox hat. Mike is wearing a Pedro Martinez jersey. And Boom must also be wearing a Pedro Martinez jersey. It was tough to tell by what the Five Horizons write-up said. But Everyone gets Pedro jerseys in 2003. Oh, I mean, like, he's the guy. Yeah, it's either Pedro yeah. or, like, Manny. David Ortiz, Ortiz, yeah. Well, Ortiz, like 2004 is Ortiz's big, big. Yeah, but I think he turns into Big Poppy in 2004, but 2003 is still like that's a gem of a pickup over from the Twins where he did absolutely nothing. So a little baseball history for you guys doesn't hurt, right? But we'll get to talk about in Crazy Mary. I think Boom is wearing it because he's shown on screen wearing it and seems like the crowd reacts to it every single time. So. Ed says right here, cheers, Boston. Before we continue, give a big hand for the Buzzcocks. Let's thank all the people that come in and put up the lights and speakers and cords and drive the trucks and all the guys that record. Just want to thank them all for the hard work that they've done in Boston, and they have to come back and do it again next week. We're going to kick off here. This is going to be a very covers-driven encore. We had only one cover last week with Fucking Up, and this show... We have six, including the preset song. So we're starting out with Driven to Tears, which is going to go right into Corduroy. We've talked a lot about Driven to Tears. Weirdly enough, it's kind of been like the song that we keep falling back on from 2003. We talked about the return of it, and then we talked about the other return of it in 2009. So we've been having conversations about it a lot. And... They've played it six times already, but it does feel like this performance is tighter. Like as they go on, the performance gets tighter and tighter. But I don't think that's like the biggest conversation within what's going on because, you know, you got seven songs left and you're only getting three more originals at this point. But it seems like maybe to balance this a little better, they could have utilized at least one of these other covers on night one and brought in Soon Forget or something to open up this encore, something like that. Like, it feels like maybe the five were too much in the main set in the encores. Yeah, I think that when Ed was writing this, I think he got to the point where he was like, we've got to hold some stuff back. We can't do everything right now. So they threw in, I think, Soldier of Love. I think you get Driven to Tears thrown in as, I won't say filler, because it's more than that, but as a way to kind of flesh this out a little bit and save some of the big things for night three. But I'm with Undriven Tears. I think this is the best one we've talked about. You know, people talk about the one where Sting came out and MSG is being really special, but this is the best one I've heard in a long time. I think probably some hangover from Rearview Mirror and that, that the little middle jam part is really, really cool and really, really interesting. Yeah, this wasn't Driven to Tears where I was like tuned out and like, oh, okay, this had me going a little bit. It's a good version. 
Yeah, I love the segue into Corduroy. I thought that that was perfect. But I also think, and I just want to preface this, I love Soldier Love. I think that's a really unique song that they don't do enough and hadn't done enough. But I also think that there is a little bit of a missed opportunity to do like a last exit off of Corduroy, to do a glorified G off of Corduroy. One of those songs could have fit in over Driven to Tears or A Soldier of Love, and I think would have worked. Mm. Like they were opening up a lot of encores in 2003 with Last Exit. Yeah, I think Last yeah. Exit and Corduroy would have been fantastic. Yeah, it would have. Unfortunately, I think they just forgot. Again, I don't know if forgot is the right thing. I think that they just didn't have time for everything. Yeah, yeah and you've got to think too. Like you're dealing with that trailer park situation, the cur- yep. curfew. So yeah, could be one of those two things. It just is disappointing that they didn't follow up with something really big off of a very red hot corduroy here. You this know? corduroy absolutely rips. And like, there's a section before the, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Like it absolutely soars. Like it goes up to the stratosphere. This was very, very intense and very, very good. Corduroy in an encore is not something we normally talk about, but this had some really good energy for where it is in the set. I fully agree, and that's why I think that they should have capitalized on the momentum. Yeah. You know? For as fun of a song that Soldier Love is, I would have rather had either Last Exit, Red Mosquito, or maybe even Glorified G. But, look, you're, you're never, revision you're never is history. You're never yeah. happy. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm happy that I'm doing this. I'm thrilled to be doing this. It's 97 songs and once 98. Get the fuck out of here. I want 97. <laughs> I just want one or two replaced. Let's put it that way. All right. Here is the aforementioned soldier of love. Again, I think it's just totally underrated and kind of weird that we don't get last kiss. Maybe have they ever done soldier of love and last kiss back to back? I can't remember a time. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been really interesting because of that 45 that had picked up. It's the whole story of that. But Victoria Williams wrote crazy Mary and Pearl jam turned crazy Mary into what? they turned it into and it is very well connected to both parties and look i thought that this version was just absolutely fantastic it enhances all of the good storytelling aspects that this song has i don't think we really talk about that too often because ed is playing the narrator and he plays it pretty straight when he does versions in 2003. He doesn't do the whole, like, through the hills, through the house. He doesn't really do all that until later versions. And on top of that, the band is just creating all of the dramatic moments that Ed is telling the story about. So it's really all different parties are kind of painting the picture to it. And then, obviously, the meat and potatoes, the big part of the song is just Boom and Mike. And that's fantastic here. This was like an eight and a half minute version too. I mean, that's not surprising, but you know, you always think that Mike is the guy on the duels. I do. This one, he was the guy on the duel. I don't even know if it was much of a duel. It was Boom had his part and then Mike just took it away until the end. Yeah, Mike just ups the ante completely and just sends it to somewhere that Boom can just look up and be like, oh, hey, hey up there, must be nice. I think the jam ends up being like four minutes. Yeah, well over eight minutes total. But yeah, I mean, Mike always wins.
Did you catch what Mike does at the end? What's that? He teases Angie at the end. Mr. Boomgrass, we're on a B3. We're going to finish out the first encore, and it's alive. Now, I think we've said it every single time that we've covered alive in this run of 2003 shows that we're doing. This is the ninth of ten, by the way. Next week will be the last of the bunch, and then we'll get on to other years and other things. But it has fully come around. The first version that we talked about was one from Australia, and it was the first one that they had played since the Seattle show where they brought it back in 2000. And it feels like we've kind of seen this evolution of this song get played up. And the last episode that we did, we did Bonner Springs. That one felt more of like a big time version. We did Dallas where it opened with, and that felt like they were comfortable opening with it. So it had a new kind of idea that was happening there. But here, I think officially, officially ends the curse. And it might have been over before this, but it ain't happening after this. When you get to the parts where Ed just wants them to sing the chorus and sing the lines, Ed just says, you sing it, you do it better than me. And the crowd totally delivers on that. You sing it, do it better than me. It's something. the last time if ever that ed let the crowd go it alone on the course like maybe in south america but this moment is massive 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 moment from this show and it really does feel like alive is now and once again the big big song Pearl jam sets yeah you're getting you know the famous like hey hey Hey, that's starting to pop up here. It might be one of the first times that that happens. I don't even remember that happening before this, but it had to have been in 2003 sometime. If this isn't the first one, then it's one of the first. But yeah, Mike absolutely goes nuts on this. I think they mentioned in Five Horizons that the band looks flabbergasted, quote-unquote, by the crowd response to this. And yeah, you, you can imagine like the band and the crowd are just simpatico, like lifting each other up. Like this version of Alive is another one that just feels really, really special. And yeah, it's onward and upwards from here for Alive as well. Like there's going to be no more dips in Alive in the play. It's going to be every night, every other night for from here on out. Yep, and that's the way we like it. So now we're on to Encore 2. We only got two more songs, one that wasn't played the next night and another that was. 
by demand. But we aren't at that version yet, so we won't get to that story just yet. But Ed comes out and says, we'd like to dedicate this next one to a whole lot of Englishmen. Joe Strummer, who we miss. Pete Townsend, who's innocent. The whole child pornography thing was going on at the time, and we've told that story a little bit here and there from this year. And the Buzzcocks for being such great roadmates and trying to kill us at night. So that's probably why they were up until sunrise. Yep. Yep. Another him and the uh, shenanigans. Yeah, him and Pete Shelley and Steve Diggle. Like, what are they doing? Like lighting each other on fire or some shit? Like, oh, who knows? Yeah, it must have been fun. Buzzcocks are a really good band. If you haven't listened to them, go and yeah. do yourself a favor. The English can certainly drink. That's all I'll say. Oh well, nobody's disagreeing on that. The party mode. Really felt like it started with Crazy Mary, but full swing. Baba is massive. It never fails. Anytime you get to that moment in the song where you just give it to the crowd, it's probably the loudest thing that the crowd will do that night. And you kind of think it's like, oh, well, why aren't they louder on a Pearl Jam song? Like, here's the thing with Baba O'Reilly. It's a testament until how unbelievable the song actually is, is that it can garner that kind of response every time it's played, no matter who plays it. It doesn't matter if The Who or Pearl Jam or another band covering plays it. It's that moment that feels so big and cathartic that you can't help yourself but screaming at the top of your lungs. Pearl Jam has those moments, of course, alive, and Better Man and other songs that are just like that. But I don't think there are too many other songs on the planet that can get the same reaction that that part in Baba O'Reilly gets. that's true it's tailor-made for that type of atmosphere it's up there you know you can talk about queen like we will rock you and we are the champions and stuff like that that really borders on pandering but it's right up there with that stuff it's it's absolutely one of the best classic rock songs for that reason i mean and if who's next is not the best arena rock album of all time then i don't know what we're doing here so it all kind of fits in together but yeah I mean, big party atmosphere. Everybody kind of knows this is the end of the second night and we got a lot more to go. Maybe they know a little bit and they're thinking, wow, like counting all the songs in their head, they got to do this, 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 and this. How are they going to do it? But they have no idea what to expect and what to come. So if you didn't notice the tease of Angie, I don't know if you're going to notice this tease. It is so quick. Mike teases, hey, Joe. Hendrix song. Did you catch that? No, no, I didn't. Real quick in between songs. Real quick. Let me tell you, this makes a whole lot of sense for what's going to come on night three because the crowd is absolutely on their feet, wild into anticipation. 
that they're going to do one more. And the minute that first note of lead better hits, they lose it. Fortuitous, that's for sure. They won't let this band leave without doing it again. It's the only song that gets repeated, so they are very, very happy to hear it. And Mike does put on a really good performance, a great spotlight at the end, and it is the capper of this two-day experience. While the two-day experience might be over, the experiment is really just beginning at this point. Yeah, and I think this is one of the better Yellow Leadbetter versions that we've ever covered. I mean, this is in 2003 where he's kind of in that storytelling kind of narrative mode on it because the war is going on. It's kind of ties in with the history of the song from what we know now. And he's kind of weaving this story into it and giving you a little bit of what the song's about. And there's one part he's like trying to think about it. And then he throws in one more reference to the shenanigans from the Night Force. Try to drink myself to death last night. And so I think that's probably throwing in one last reference to what had happened the night before. But yeah, I think this is a fantastic way to end this show. I mean, we talked about the encore last week was a little bit lacking. But this one, the crowd absolutely is on it from right away. This is a great crowd show. And Yellow Light Better is the best way to end this. All right. Well, there we have it. Night two is in the books. But we got to rank our top three songs. And then we got to rate the show. So let's get to some housekeeping here. I'm going to go first here. I'm going to say that my number three is going to be Love Boat Captain because that awesome solo. I'm going to say number two is going to be River Mirror because it is a song called River Mirror. And number one is going to be Insignificance. That absolutely blew me away at the show. All right. My number three is going to be... Oh, this is a tough call because there's so many good choices. I, I'm not going to throw low light in my top three, even though it was, quote unquote, the first performance. My number three is going to be Corduroy. My number two is Animal. And my number one is Rearview Mirror. Fantastic. Yeah, you can probably pick like five more moments from this oh, show. Yeah. I mean, I'm and looking no at Arlis. I'm looking at I Got Shit. I'm looking at in hiding like alive yeah crazy mary all that stuff was considered yep and i guess there's no wrong answer yep so all right it's down to a rating here and last week what might have seemed like it could have been an obvious hall of fame consideration john you went into a different direction you said it doesn't quite get there i don't know where you're going with this but i kind of teed it up last week that if you got one in you got to have them all. They're all part of a big series. And even if this wasn't a show that was part of a bigger landscape, if this was just a regular show off the 2003 tour, I'd probably give this a very, very high rating because on its own, it's excellent. It's an excellent show. And what I like about the two that we've done so far is that they are completely different. They have different structures. They have different eras that they're tapping into a little bit more and 
I, I like them for different reasons, and I like the show just as much as I do the first night, and it's an easy 10 for me. Okay. Well, we can we can end the suspense. I mean, this show has everything that the night one I thought was missing. The crowd, especially, and you need those really good crowds for it to be a ten out of ten show. Yeah, this is this is a ten for me too. Throw it on there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, usually when we get to rating these shows, we have a couple that we know we put in like early in the year that we're like, yeah, can make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, like anticipate that, but. This year we had a couple and they just all seemed to fall flat and they didn't quite reach that 10 out of 10 on both parties. So it took us till July to get that. And we finally have the year, right? I like that. Yes, that's a good way to put it. This is the first inductee into the live on four legs live show hall of fame class of 2023. I don't know how many would go in that we're doing this year. I don't know. Cause we're doing a lot of very, very underrated unheralded stuff. I think we'll get a few more. Yeah. I, I mean, there's going to be one obvious that comes rather soon. I suppose. I'm, I'm Unless... not even counting that one. I'm looking at the, <laughs> I think, I think we still got a couple more to go. All right. Well, I don't we'll, think it's we'll have to see. These. I don't think it's going to be Mansfield only. Yeah. No full prediction for right now. It's going to be a smaller class than last year and the year before, but anything is good. Anything is good. And look, we don't have to tee you up for what's coming next week. I think it's pretty obvious at this point, unless you only listen to the end of episodes and that you don't know what's going on. But yeah, we're the uh, night three is coming next week. So what I don't know is if night three will be here for you guys on Wednesday or on Thursday, because it is going to have a little bit of a late recording later in the week than we usually do. And it is going to be obviously a longer edit to do. So I cannot guarantee you that it will be out at normal time on Wednesday, but I can probably guarantee you that it won't be out after Thursday. So just putting that in your mind, I know you guys don't care and you just get the notification. You just listen to whatever, whatever, but I'm just throwing it out there. You might have to wait an extra day. And I know a lot of you might not want to do that, but that's just look, it's vacation time. John and I had a lot of difficulty putting the schedule together for all this. And thankfully we got to a place where we were both available at the same time and could do it. And we didn't want to skip out on this week at all. So there you go. This has been great so far, but I think next week is going to tell the whole thing, be the whole finale, you know, all about it. So we'll just leave it at that. Well, the only other thing to say here, I guess, is that if you aren't subscribed, go and head over to your favorite podcast platform. May it be Apple Podcasts, maybe Spotify Podcasts and subscribe to the pod that way you can get those notifications every time we do a new episode and if you so choose please feel free to give us a rating on either of those platforms we would love to see a five-star rating of course i hope we deserved it i think we've deserved it we've done enough work where we sure as heck deserve it but we are always open to hearing what you guys have to say And I would love it if you guys would rate and leave a comment because the comments will help the next person that is looking for a new Pearl Jam podcast to listen to that might not have heard of us before. There are still people out there. Yes, I assume, but it would give them a foot in the door as to what we're doing and what kind of content that they'll get from us. So 
look, we can talk until we're blue in the face, but I think it comes from you guys. It's way more important and it means way more than it would ever come from having us say it. So please feel free, leave us a comment on Apple Pod, leave us a rating, help, and everything will be mucho, mucho appreciated. So with that being said, this may be the end. We're here and not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. Well, got to go back to the lab to figure out what to do in this experiment that's going to get 45 more songs in. Where are my test tubes going to fly? Who knows? But I think we'll get the right solution together. Until then, we'll just have to find out next week. See you there. Sit down. There's not going to be an acoustic version of Blood or anything like that. Hey, I'm going to throw out a suggestion as part of uh, the experiment, something we've never attempted. If you'd like to all sit down again in the, uh, the guise of conserving energy, please feel free to do so. It might be, we haven't played for a seated crowd in a long, long time. It might be kind of exciting. There's not going to be an acoustic version of blood or anything like that, so feel free to sit down. Man.